Hey guys, welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. Jesus communities. Uh, first and foremost, it's this. Our, our tradition, and when I say tradition, I mean kind of like Christianity as we've known it, everybody's sitting here for the most part. Uh, the, the traditional approach oftentimes is what do I need to do to be saved? And then I start going to a church. That's typically how our world works, okay? Except we're entering into this biblical worldview, and that isn't what Jesus would say we're supposed to be doing. Right? There isn't anything that we can find in Scripture that would make us think that Jesus would want us to do, to have some kind of conversion experience, and then choose a group of people that you'll meet with each week regularly. Okay? That actually doesn't exist in Scripture. Right? That's been something we feel very comfortable with because it's all we've known for the most part. Right? What, what makes more sense, what's, what seems to be the avenue that Jesus goes down in the entire early church is this idea of entering into a relationship with Jesus and simultaneously we become a part of the Jesus community. And what that means is that it isn't just what we do on a Sunday, like for us, afternoon, but it has to do with how we interact with each other on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And we've entered into an agreement that we all will live as a community together. And unfortunately, that is something that may be a little bit discouraging in our time. It's much easier to say, I want to find a church that I'm going to go to once a week, and that's what I want to do. But as we, again, as we enter into Scripture here, I think what we'll find is something very different. I think if you're in a place where you're making a decision on whether I want to be a Christian or not, right, please don't let that process be one of, I want to have a conversion experience, and then pick a church to go to. But understand that this is entering into a relationship where we become a community and we have the benefit of, of a number of Jesus communities that are talked about, that are written to in the New Testament. And we're going to be digging into Romans. Uh, we're going to start out, we're, we're going to hit a small section today. We're not in a rush at all. Our goal isn't to just pile on information and the more information we have, it's this idea of understanding like, what did Paul mean when he wrote this letter to the Christians living in Rome and living in Rome for this study. Okay. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. Okay. So that doesn't mean you have to, but I just let you know on the front end of things. That's the text we'll be reading out of. And I know on your phone, you can just switch over, but if not, just so you're aware, some of the sentence structure may be a little bit different 
Um, I think everybody has an idea of where Rome is for the most part, right? Getting this idea of we're talking about a real, real place full of real people in a real time, okay? This is like late 40 AD into early 50 AD. There we go, Rome right over there. You remember at this time, Caesar was king. And in fact, a process, in fact, a practice of a Roman citizen would be to say, Caesar is Lord. Right? That, that was something that you had to do if you were a Roman citizen. If somebody said, who's your Lord? Caesar's Lord. And in fact, it got to a place where you actually had to sign a document under penalty of prison <coughs> saying, Caesar is my Lord. Okay, And so, it, again, we're going to learn more about this, but it certainly can play into trying to be a Christian in this early context here, okay? So here's a few bullet points. To understand, Paul's, to understand Paul's letter to Roman Christians, we have to be willing to view the letter in the way that it was intended by Paul originally. What I'm asking all of us to do is to be open to having a different filter put on than maybe you've always read the scripture or how you've always heard it taught, okay? The, the filter, and all of us have this, okay? Every soul in here. We have a filter that we read the Bible through. The challenge for us as people living 2,000 years after this is written is that our filter continues to be adjusted to be a filter that we're supposed to be reading it through, not through the filter of a 2024 lens. And that'll become more clear. If you're wondering, like, well, what does that mean? I think it'll become more clear as we go through this, but that's really going to be our challenge as we study this, this letter out. Romans isn't a book about how to be saved. I want you to think about that. And I don't know, we, we for the most part, are, are engulfed. Practically every tradition we know of has come from kind of a Protestant line and there's like a really even famous kind of structure that has been built over the decades called the Romans Road. But if we were to talk to Paul and say, Paul, you remember the Romans Road that you put in that letter? He would say, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but that's how you get saved. I think what we'll learn is Paul would say, that's not what I meant at all when I wrote that letter. Okay, there, there's something we're going to learn, I hope, that we'll feel comfortable with is the idea that just because we teach it a certain way didn't necessarily mean that's how it was written originally, right? Does Romans talk about salvation? <coughs> yes. Is it a book about how to be saved? No. The letter isn't about Jewish Christians and Gentiles not getting along. Right? Oftentimes, I, you know, that's been the, the filter I've read it through oftentimes. It's this idea of you have the, the church in Rome, and the church in Rome is like having this battle between Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians, and they're kind of clashing with one another. And I've always thought, well, that's why he wrote this letter, except we're going to find that's not at all why he wrote this letter. It's a letter about God. 
and his plan to put things right. God is rescuing man in order to participate with him in this putting it right project. Okay, what is that project? God with man in community for eternity. Okay, that's his project. That's what God is. He's got a, and you're going to see this a little bit later. This kind of resonated with me is that God's plan is to put things right. Like, but by what reference? By what we read in the first pages of scripture, right? The, the original plan of God is this perfect creation. And God and man in this perfect union. Right? So we have that vision. And this letter is a letter about God and his putting it right project. Okay, and we're going to read more and hear more about this. There's a question that I think we'll be answering as well. For us today, how are we supposed to live as loyal Jesus communities? Like as a group, not just individually, but how do we as a Jesus community in the Clemson Foothills Church, what are we being taught and how are we supposed to live our lives as loyal Jesus communities? And that's going to be a word that we face often is loyalty. And you'll see why a little bit later, okay? Very quickly, um, the basic structure of this letter we're written, that, that we're reading, okay? This is just a basic structure, okay? It's Romans 1 through 4, and then 5 through 8 is another section, and 9 through 11, and then 12 through 16. What's going to become very clear as we get to it is in Romans 8. Romans 8 is, it, we're, we're, we're climbing. There's a crescendo to Romans 8, and oftentimes... A lot of us in here, you know Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Okay, that is phenomenal. The, the, and it's, it's great even if you don't know all of the previous information. Okay, but Paul is writing it because that's the, he's zeroing in right there. That everything that's coming to that point is there's this, this, actual kind of like hub in the book and it's bringing us to chapter 8. So we're going to get there and chapter 8 is amazing. It's more amazing when we understand how Paul put this together for seven chapters leading to that statement right there. So we've got a little ways to go but it's going to be great. Romans 1 verse 1. Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a crazy sentence 
sentence. As, as we read this, there, there, we, we, we have got to like stop. Like this, this opening portion of this letter is crucial. Just the way Paul handles this, but I think it's going to equip us to handle this as well, where he says, you know, he introduces himself, which is fine. He says, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle slash missionary slash sent out person. He said, set apart for the gospel of God. So again, what, what's the exercise we're going to be playing over and over and over again is when we hear that word for the gospel of God, of knowing what is he talking about? When I see the word gospel, when I see the word, you know, gospel of the kingdom, gospel of God, what is going through my mind here, okay? Set apart for the gospel, and it's, again, I'll, we're going to supply the answer, but the, the diligence on our part is to keep drilling it into our minds so we know this gospel or we, we talk about it being good news. The, the Greek word is the good announcement, right? which is what? That Jesus is king. That, that's, that's one of those things where we go, right, you, you ask people, what's the gospel? Almost nobody ever says Jesus is king. We go, what's the gospel? Oh, well, Jesus died and rose again for our sins. Okay, here's, that's, Absolutely great news, by the way. The problem is, is as we do as human beings, is we take good news and make it about us. Okay? I mean, pay attention to how subtle that is. Oh, but the good news is what he did for me. No, 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 no. No, the good news is that Jesus is king. That, that's the good news. And that's not just another piece of good news. It's not going like, oh, well, that's good news. And then there's these neat things that happen. And it's not just a fact for us to go, oh, I think that fact is, is right. right. It's actually telling us something that is true eternally. Whether me and you decide we'll follow Jesus at all. Jesus is king is factually true for eternity. Right? And so what that means is, is he has a kingdom and we can live in the kingdom or we can decide not to live in that kingdom. All right? And there are, there are, you know, effects that go with both of those things. Okay? So he said here, Paul says, man, I was set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son. He's He's telling us kind of like basic apologetics 101. Like, why does this matter? Well, he's talked about the gospel through his prophets, through the Holy Spirit. People have been talking about this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that this is coming, okay? And Paul says that that's who this is, that this king was descended from David and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection of the dead. Okay? And, and you may be going, I don't know if this is connecting with me on an emotional level, okay? This isn't necessarily meant to do that. It's simply facts, which is this idea of how does Jesus, how do we know and trust that he has the power of the eternal kingdom? Because of his resurrection. 
He's done something no one else has done before. This is meant to embolden our courage and our faith. And let me give you a reason why that's important in this context, okay? Is in the coming years, when I say this context, I mean like 47, 48, 49 AD, okay? Is in the near future, there's going to be a new Caesar, okay? He's, his name is Nero. And man, it is going to get tough for the Christians, Right? So this idea of emboldening our faith here is so vitally important to not just have this idea of, oh yeah, Jesus and he's king, and, but I don't really know. Is he powerful? Is he not powerful? And Paul is helping us here see that no, he's powerful and his power came from the resurrection of the dead. We've received grace and we've received apostleship and on and on and on here. And so he takes us here and this is just What's really fascinating about this, this is just his greeting to the church. This is just his greeting to the Christians who live in Rome at this time. So let's pick up in verse 8. First, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Isn't that a great thing to hear? Okay. He's writing to, a, to the Roman church. And, and I think oftentimes what can be misconstrued is we think, well, if he's writing to them, there is something so wrong there. And there is something that needs such immense correction that we can almost see a group that we can feel like, well, Paul's just kind of disappointed and he's got to write this letter and it's going to be really tough, okay? Except Paul says, I thank God for all of you. He said, your faith is being proclaimed around the world. Right? Can, you, can you imagine that? He's saying, I'm, I'm writing to Christians that your faith is proclaimed around the world. He said, God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. There's that word again. That without ceasing, I've mentioned you always in my prayer, asking that somehow by God's will, I may know at last uh, success in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both the Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, right? So again, a lot of things in here, you know, let, let's take a look at something that's pretty fascinating, okay? Is this idea of Paul being grateful for the brothers and sisters and their faithful service in Rome. You, you, you almost get this idea that Paul's like, this is so incredible. We have... We have a Jesus community right under Caesar's nose. All right. Well, the rest of the world is saying, and the rest of the city is Caesar is Lord and Caesar is awesome. We have a group of faithful people that are like, no, 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 no. No. In fact, in our community, Jesus is Lord. Like we're right here on ground zero of the Roman Empire. Okay. And so that's pretty exciting when you think about that. And Paul is like, man, I'm thankful for you. He, he 
this little tidbit of information here. He says, understand something. This is Paul, a Jew. He said, I'm actually under obligation to everyone to preach this gospel. And when he says Greeks and barbarians, he's, he's essentially just describing everyone. It's an obligation to the Jews and to the non-Jews. He said, everybody. And thankfully in Rome, you had a diverse group, okay? When you bring diversity to any group, there will be friction, right? But Paul is saying, man, I'm so grateful. Then he jumps into this here, okay? He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed that Jesus is king. I'm not ashamed of these things because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So as we're studying this together, because now you have an idea of where we're going, okay? I mean, we're going to go, we're going to really finish in the 17th verse. So you know where we're going next week. So there's a couple of things that I want to call your attention to. Uh, number one, begin making a list of words that you don't understand the definition to. Number two, pay attention to these kind of words. For. Or therefore. Because. Okay, these connecting words that are giving us reasons to why Paul is saying what he's saying. This is not a time where we just zip through these things. It's like, hold on a minute. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? He says, here's why. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Right? The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Okay? I think that... That, that will trip you up a little bit. Okay, that's a statement that's a little weird. Essentially, he defines it right afterward. As it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. And that is a quote from an old prophet named Habakkuk. And you can see that quote in Habakkuk chapter 2 in verse 4. But this idea right here of Paul saying, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. What would cause him to write this. But he wants to make it clear to the Roman church, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I hope that word gospel, 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 okay? It's not one of those things that we just move on past to be saying this good announcement that Jesus is king is the power of God for salvation, Okay? Take a look at something for a second. Um, first of all, this is God's method of putting things right. This is what salvation means when you see this word. God rescuing us from death. Joining him in new life. Right now. Here's why I say that. Is just like we talked about before of kind of like our faulty view of reading scripture and then and deciding to join a church somewhere that they will be a part of, you know, and those kind of things, how we can be a little bit off with that. We're a little bit off with our salvation 
uh, definition because a lot of times, if not most, salvation is described as you don't want to go to hell, do you? Do you want to go to hell? I mean, that's the, listen, man, that's the preacher's low-hanging fruit right there. Okay? It's like, man, you can get people to do a lot of things by dangling that in front of them. Do you want to go to hell? Well, you know, nobody wants to go to hell. All right? And that, again, is a developed theology that isn't consistent with what Paul is writing about. Now, now, understand what I'm not saying. I'm not getting into a whole theology of heaven and hell and all these things, right? But this idea that I'm going to go through an experience, so one day I'll go somewhere that I don't know where, and then it'll be heaven. And more importantly, not hell. Right? That, that's not a consistent theme of the Bible, right? What we see happening scripturally from Genesis all the way through Revelation is God coming down to his people. Okay, where's the garden? Right here. It's perfect. Right here. Where's God? Right here. And then even when the temple's built, where is God? He comes right down here to us. In the end of Revelation, what does he do? Then I saw a new Jerusalem coming down. Right? It's this idea of this kind of ambiguous, someday kind of, well, we'll get there someday. He's going, no, you're saved for today. But you're, you're rescued. That's the better word, okay? Rescued from death. In order to be able to join him in new life now. See, Jesus' communities are built for people to see that, oh, there can be new life today. That, that's what the Jesus' communities are supposed to see, that, oh, there is new identity and new life lived out right here Amongst our world, okay? What does that mean? He says, well, the righteous will live by faith. These are, I'm, I'm going to give, just give some quick definitions here. What does that mean, the righteous? Those who are in a right standing and consequently right behavior within God's community. The righteous will live by faith. Those in right standing, let, let's, let's kind of like fill this out just a little bit is... Those born into the kingdom of God. Right? You remember Jesus talking with Nicodemus. Like, how do you enter the kingdom? Well, Jesus himself says no one can enter the kingdom unless he's born again. Okay? That puts you in a right position, in a right stature in the kingdom of God. But there's also a right behavior that goes with that. If there's something we're going to learn in Romans, it's going to be really cool. I think there, there's so many things we've done, but typically we're going to get into chapters to begin talking about the law, the old law. And, and man, in, in Christianity, the, the line that we give to the law is, man, the law is bad and Jesus is good. All right? Law bad. Jesus good. The law bad. The law can't. No, not at all. All right? This idea of God coming together with people and saying, these are, this is the agreement we're going to have on how we live in the kingdom. Okay? That's always been a good thing. It still is a good thing. Okay? 
And so this idea of the righteous will live by faith, he's saying it's those in a right standing in the kingdom of God and who adhere to the ways that Jesus has set forth that you live in that kingdom. Okay? And all of these will be filled out more, for sure. We're not saved from the world, but we're going to learn we're saved for the world. Right? Think about that for a second. Right? Oftentimes, very easy to go, okay, I'm gonna, I want to be quote-unquote saved or rescued from the world. Said, no, 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 no. His plan to put the world right is something very different. It's my people are being saved for the world. This is so much more. And why is this important? Okay, because again, I acknowledge that just bullet points and all these things can be. Why is this important? Understanding what God's vision is for the world will guide us. I think far too often, right, I get to go and be a part of different leaders meetings at times and, and people, and there's always this thing. What's the church's vision moving forward? What are we dreaming about? Right? Like, like, like we're, we're having, and then if you let enough church leaders who are bored get together, we start coming up with some crazy things and calling them gods. What's so valuable and so important is we get an understanding, God, what's your vision for humanity? What's your vision? He didn't boil this down to just, hey, become a Christian and then kind of act weird and invite lots of people to come to church. Right? He says, no, envision a community that you're a part of that is in cooperation with God. To help the world we live in become right in his eyes. Alright, that changes things, okay? That changes hopefully, but we're going to hear this often. The righteous will live by faith as we read right here in verse 17. One of the words that our definitions are going to need to fill out a little bit more is this word faith. Sometimes we see it as believe. The righteous will live by faith. Okay. All the, the, the building blocks of that Greek word, okay, are trust and loyalty and allegiance. Right? In, in so many ways, it's not just another Bible word like faith. It's not just a Bible word. It's this idea I'm trusting Jesus as king. And I pledge my allegiance to him and my loyalty to him. That, that's who we are as a Jesus community. So when we read things like this, the righteous will live by faith. I hope what pops into our mind is this idea of the righteous, those in a relationship with God, adhering to his kingdom ways, that as a community, we're continually loyal and we're continually pledging our allegiance. I'm with you. I'm with the king. We're with your ways. We're behind you 100%. Okay? We're going to see more about that. Because the world will stand against this. All right? We get a glimpse here in the first century. All right? Is 
this idea of being loyal to Jesus when Caesar is right down the street. It's very similar to us today. Everyone in our world is pledging, I mean, the, the world's voice is pledging allegiance to the ways of the world. Is pledging allegiance and faith and trust and loyalty in the world. Like, man, you know, what does that sound like? Man, if we can just elect the right president, things will be okay. Okay, that's what the world says. When you're, when you're loyal to the world, that's what you have to think. All right? A Jesus community says, listen, it doesn't matter. Because we have a king and everything already is all right. Amen. Right? I mean, this is going to be the challenge to a Jesus community. It's a challenge of our allegiance and a challenge of our trust and a challenge of our loyalty because the world will be standing against this, tempting God's people to be ashamed of God and his ways. Could you imagine that? A Jesus community. Ashamed of God and his ways. I think the sobering point that I'm drawing out of this is that that's kind of what's happening in church today. Is Christians are becoming more and more ashamed of God and his ways. When God's people become ashamed of the gospel, Jesus' communities begin conforming to the world's ways. That's what happens, okay? And we find religious spins on it, okay? We'll, we'll find ways of justifying it. We'll find all kinds of ways to do it. But that's really the truth is when the people of God, when the communities, when Jesus' communities become ashamed of the gospel, we start being conformed to the ways of the world and we start being scared of what we see. What if I don't have enough money? Right. Well, well, what if everything, like, okay, what if my retirement isn't exactly where it needs to be? What if I don't meet the right person right now? Right. What if I don't buy a house? What if the interest rates don't come down? What if Congress doesn't do this thing? What if all of these things, okay? And realizing that that's us, we're just conforming to a faithless way, we're essentially ashamed because here's what happens. When Jesus' communities don't jump into the anxiety and the chaos of the world, you want to know what people do? They, they start calling you names, right? You're, you're just a simpleton, right? You're just naive. You don't understand. Hey, don't come to me when everything comes falling down around you. Right? Is ridicule follows this from the world. Right. And we'd be crazy to think that we could somehow like skip this because, because the gospel of God, this message, this loyal message of our king, is truly foolishness to the world. It's truly foolishness, but it also shows this idea of God using his communities to make the world right. See, the world needs to see that this actually is what's right. They need to see it in action in the community of going, wow. And this actually is a community of people that they, they aren't 
like endlessly like on this anxiety loop of like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? And, oh, I can't believe this. It's just a community of peace. Right? A community being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. We're going to, like this last scripture right here. Romans chapter 12, okay? Um, okay? Just, we're going to take a little peek later in the Romans, okay? Just this little peek, and, and, and there's this connecting point right here with what we just read in verse 16 and 17 when Paul goes, listen, I exhort you. I'm asking you, I'm warning you, I'm pleading. He's, he's, he, this could be written to us today. I exhort you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may, be, uh, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. All right, this, this is that. So, so there's this crossover we have that I want us just to take a glimpse of because these first 17 verses that we've come to, um, it, we're, we're about to enter into some pretty, this is some pretty meaty stuff here, right? Um, but this section right here, what a call for us today be considering these things. Okay? I want to leave you with this last quote that I thought was really helpful. And he writes, God's settled purpose is to put the whole world right in the end. In the present time, by the power of the gospel, he puts human beings right with himself in order that they can at once become part of his putting right project for the world. And that putting right project includes everything from evangelism to justice from marriage to beauty. New creation is what matters, and all individual Christians, being themselves new creation in the Messiah, are by definition image bearers, the royal priesthood. Yeah. Right? And in the history of God, man, that last section right there is a power-packed, amazing image of becoming the royal priesthood. Each week, the slides will be available. I'm going to go ahead and put them up onto our, onto our website so you'll have access to those things. There will be other resources and all that. But I think what you'll find is what I've found, right, is this is going to take some diligence and some time and some study and some discussion. We're going to be talking about these things in our small groups for sure. But let's bring it into a close right now. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC.